this morning. I uh, have, I'll just be, I'll be brief uh, this morning. But as I was studying this morning and I was thinking about, as God was ministering to me, uh, these incredible truths in the Word of God, what he's accomplished and how it's been brought out in the types. And let's just read, we'll read um, in Exodus, the 12th chapter, Exodus 12. Verse 1, it says, And the Lord, and I'm going to be reading from the Amplified Bible. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. I think that's very interesting. Moses here, obviously, has, has been brought out so many times in the scriptures as God has brought, us out, brought it out to us in teaching. Moses is the type of Christ. Aaron also, and what he does, and, and what God works in him is a type of Christ. So you could see, even in this, that there is a relationship, an amazing relationship. Because God never gave to one man at all to do what only, what only Christ could do. So Moses here is, is a type of Christ in the work, and Aaron also, in the work that God would do through them. They're not the types themselves. They are only the type in the, in the sense and in the reality of what Christ would be accomplishing in and through them as the type until Jesus Christ, the anti-type, would come and, and we would realize the fulfillment of what he had accomplished. Notice what it says, and what the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Now this again here is very personal. He's speaking personally like he does to us, like he desires to do to us this morning. That's why the most important thing that we could have done this morning is to come and hear the word of God. That's why the enemy, that he will give us a thousand and one excuses not to come, to be overburdened, to be burdened with other struggles that don't have a thing to do with who we are in Christ. Notice what I said this morning. Not one struggle that a person is going through should we take upon ourselves because it, that has nothing to do with who we are in Christ. That doesn't have a single thing to do. And thereby the enemy would even use that to cause us not to come. Would even use that, the struggles of what someone else is going through, to use that to, for us to lose sight of the fact that in Song of Solomon 4, verse 7, we are the beloveds. And what a desire he has to ha have this exchange life and intimacy with us, where nothing, when we meet him, can disturb or distract us when we're in his presence. Because in Psalm 16, verse 8, we set the Lord before our face, not someone's struggles. Listen, not even our own. What can we do with our own struggles? Nothing. Who has dealt with them? Christ has. There's not a single thing, not one single thing that he hasn't dealt with. Not only with us personally, but in every single relationship. So he speaks to Moses and Aaron. Look at where he speaks to us. And he does it individually and personally. You see, Moses and Aaron had to show up 
and be in a place for God to speak to them. Otherwise, they would miss what he was saying. How much do believers miss? You know, I thank God for the internet. I thank God for the recordings. I do, I thank God for that. But nothing ever, as much as we can, without any condemnation and, exag- and, and accusation, nothing ever replaces in Romans chapter uh, 10, 13 to 17, nothing ever replaces face-to-face teaching. The enemy will get, do everything he can. But notice what it says. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, where in the land of Egypt? Egypt is a type of the world system. Where is God constantly speaking to us? In the world system. If he's not speaking to me, if I'm not receiving the word that he speaks to me presently, the only other thing that will speak to me is the world system. That's what will speak to me. That thing that Satan has designed, you see that in Genesis, the fourth chapter, that world system that was built on the rejection and murder of Christ and the types brought out, that will be the thing that will speak to me. And then for the comfort that I need, sometimes we think we need to be comforted by other struggles. We take on these false burdens because we have a false need and we think that we have to do that. Well, no, no. You see what it says? The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, and he spoke to them in the land of Egypt. The land, they were in the world system like Jesus was in John 17 and verse 14. They're in the world system like we are in John 17, verse 16, but we are not of the world system. Yes, we're in it. We're in this world, but if we don't function in who we are of Christ through the preaching and teaching of the word that God has given us, the world system will speak to us. Then we will seek to get comfort by going into the world. Any, any, any escape mechanism that the enemy gives us is to escape Christ, where he's called. There's no question about that. Anything that replaces Jesus Christ in present known obedience, right where God has called us, is a mechanism that Satan has designed to get us to escape intimacy with Jesus Christ. There is no question about it. I don't know what we ever thought, what any believer ever thought, that they were to be a burden bearer for someone. Fact of the matter is, when it even says that in, in Galatians, the sixth chapter, verses one through four, about bearing one another's burdens, what does that mean? We bear them or we bring him, bring them to the burden bearer so that they don't be the means of the enemy to cause distance between me and intimacy with Christ. Notice what it says. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month, notice this, this month, You see the times? You see the times? God speaks things to us, and he speaks them to us in timing. That's why we've always, by the grace of God Almighty, we have always taught the scriptures as they teach us that God's timing is as important as his provision. If you are living in the time where you are right now, that's God's provision for you. You do not need to escape. 
This month will be to you. Notice what it says. The beginning of months. The first month of the year to you. Tell all the congregation of Israel. On the 10th day of this month, they will take every man a lamb or kid according to the size of the family of which he is the father. A lamb or kid for each house. And if the household is too small to consume the lamb, let him and his next door neighbor take it according to the number of persons. Every man according to what each can eat will make your count for the lamb. That's speaking capacity now. That's speaking capacity. I want to make this clear. God calls people to a certain place because of their capacity. That's what he does. He calls them. And we, we, uh, we don't even know our capacity outside of submitting to him and hearing the word of God. We do not know. And the enemy wants to convince us, convince us that we can know our own capacity, which we cannot. Only he can. Verse 5, your, your lamb or kid will be without blemish a male of the first year. You will take it from the sheep or the goats. Again, this is brought out in 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20. It's brought out the lamb here. And of course, we know in John 1, verse 29 and John 1, verse 36, he is the lamb of God that takes away the sin, not the personal sins, but making it available by dealing in propitiation with the Father, his love and justice, not being met, but yet being met by Jesus Christ, he becomes that propitiation to the Father so that anyone who would receive him as the substitute would thereby be reconciled, having all their sins dealt with, their personal sins. That goes into the types again in Leviticus 16 in those first seven verses. You will keep it. Notice that you will keep it until the 14th day of the same month. The whole assembly, notice that they're doing it all together. They're not operating separately. They're not operating separately. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will each kill his lamb in the evening, meaning everyone has to apply that to themselves together. They don't do it separately. They don't do it separately. And they will kill it in the evening. Very interesting. Very interesting. Look at when Christ was on Calvary. Look at the time, the times when he was even fulfilling this to every single detail. Kill the lamb in the evening. They will take of the blood and put it on the two side posts and on the lentil above the door space of the houses in which they will eat the Passover lamb. See, they're doing it together. They're reading it together. This is the principle of oneness that Jesus so prayed that he would be literally the fulfillment of. And in that oneness, in John the 17th chapter, especially in the 11th and the 21st and 22nd verses, would bring out that they would be one in Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. There's no separation. There's no space in between. There's no distance. There's no distance at all. They will take of it. They will take of the blood and put it on the two side posts. Okay? 
of the space in the house, and they will eat the Passover lamb together. The Passover lamb. This is the institution, even when we understand in Matthew 26, verse 28, how Jesus was taking, taking the bread and the wine, which would picture this, the memorial feast for the Christian. The realization that everything is dealt with as they partake of it together with no distance between. No distance at all because he was that lamb that would take it away and deal with it. In John 1 verse 29, as, as we said, and then in Hebrews 9 verse 14, that blood that would cleanse the conscience. It's very interesting. The cleanse conscience there in Hebrews 9 verse 14 there has to do in 1 John 1 7. We walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship one with another. Notice what it says. We have this fellowship one with another. And the blood we experienced that did that, the experience of that blood that accomplished all that is a continual cleansing. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 through 9 and even through the 10th verse. But the reality of that is in 1 John 1 7 is teaching us not our conduct, it's teaching proper character. In other words, is my character, is my conduct manifesting my character? Because if that's the case, if I'm in a particular area in a local assembly and God's called me, would there not be, even in differences, reconciliation? There would be. Because in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, of him are we of God, made in Christ, what? Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. There is tremendous, constant forgiveness in Ephesians 4, verse 32, in relationships with each other. And they will take of that. And that's what this blood meant. Verse 8, it says, And they will eat the flesh that night, roasted. 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 This is what is a picture of Christ on Calvary the fire and holiness of love and justice. And again, you can never separate love from justice and justice from love any more than you can separate the manifestation of God's nature from any other aspect of that nature. They will eat the flesh that night. When? That night. With unleavened bread. No leaven in it. And bitter herbs, they will eat it. The bitter herbs there for those that were partaking of it. It just brings out very clearly how when God does a work with us, there can be, he can show us the bitterness of the flesh in us. But thank God in 2 Corinthians 7.10, the, the godly sorrow is, has to do with that bitterness. But yet it's without regret. It's very interesting. Yet without regret. Because when we don't eat the lamb and fellowship with him, and I know that I am in right fellowship with God when I can fellowship with other believers in a local area where I'm called. Because all distance has been removed. And it's not an issue. The issue is, and this is going to be brought out in the coming weeks here, especially in these next three days here, how that the issue is never personal. God would never cause me to move or to go somewhere 
and it would be a personal issue because the reality is in Ephesians 6 verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in the heights. That's what goes on. That is what's going on here. The reality is, is it's not the blame game. You know, when I don't eat the lamb, when I don't fellowship with one another, I will use one another and blame one another, play the blame game, and then that will be the thing that will cause me to wet, to leave my proper place. Notice that? These bitter herbs, they will eat with it. God is always teaching us. The bitter herbs is he's teaching us, see? This is where you were functioning. This was the distance. This, is, this was the false burden, the false need, being occupied. Oh, how the enemy wants us to be occupied with the struggles of what someone else is going through to cause us to miss the intimacy of fellowship with him and seeing things as he sees them from the top, from my position in him. They will eat the flesh that night, roasted with unleavened bread and, and bitter herbs. He's, the Holy Spirit will take the things of Christ to the individual. And when I'm entreatable, when I'm open to the word where God has called me, and remember, God never violates the honor of his order, ever. In 1 Corinthians 14, 40, God does all things decently, openly, transparently, and in order. Because if not, if it's not his order that he's established in the local assembly, if that's the case, then we know in 1 Corinthians 14.33 that God is not the author of confusion, but of life and peace, the opposite. And that is when we eat the lamb, when we, when we fellowship with him. And notice it says it was roast with fire. Roast was with fire there is, it was the love and justice of God. You see, God loves, but he loves justly. There's a love that he has for us. But for us to understand love is not sentimentality. And wanting people to accept me in the place where I'm functioning in the flesh, even ignorantly or rebelliously. See, that's not love. You can't separate justice from love and love from justice because it's one. Because that's who he is and his nature, character, and essence. And we're going to see that. We'll see it. And we're going to see that those things brought out this week in a very personal way, in a, in a very private way, and a very public way. We will see those things and how they will be dealt with. Bitter herbs. You see, God the Holy Spirit, he's the only one who can take the things of Christ because we each have this anointing. We have that unction in 1 John 2, 20. We don't have, any, we don't have a need that any man should teach us in 1 John 2, 27. What that means is, is this, that God has called me to a local assembly to be taught. He's given us guides in Hebrews 13, verse 17. We're to obey and submit to them. Okay, And because if not, then we have a need for ourselves to teach ourselves in 1 John 2, 27. You don't have a need that any man should teach you, but we have an anointing, and it flows properly. It will keep us free. It will keep us living in the freedom 
of who we are in Christ. You see, that's God's order today, folks. It just simply is. And so God, the Holy Spirit, will take the things of Christ and show us where we're living in areas where we're condemned, where we're living in the accusation, and where we live in the blame game because we don't want to be responsible for our own flesh. That we're not. That's in us in Romans 8, 9, but that we're, we're not of. And But what happens is, the bitterness is, he's showing me the bitterness of where I'm living without condemning me, which will allow me, if I submit my will, to function in him instantly and be able to confess it instantly in 1 John 1, 9. Folks, listen. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. That's why the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The strongholds in believers' lives they're completely ignorant of. But in the order of God in a local assembly, he's going to reveal those things. But if I am ignorant of them and don't want them dealt with, then I will seek to escape. I will use a mechanism of the enemy to escape. But he's still going to deal with those things. Again, we'll see how these will be brought out in these next coming three days, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and even beyond that. But especially in those days. They will eat the bitter herbs. They will eat it. He's constantly showing us. They eat it not of it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted its head and legs and its inner parts. It's to be roasted. You see, everything about God's love for us had to do with his justice that consumed every single thing about that fallen nature, about the fleshly nature that's in the Christian. It was absolutely roast with the, with the fire of God's holiness. And Christ dealt with it on Calvary. No wonder it says in Galatians 6 and verse 14, God forbid that I should glory. How many glory in the counsel they think that they got from God? Have you tried the Spirit in 1 John 4.1 to know that it is actually the Spirit of God? Well, here it is. It's roast with fire. The fire of God's holiness. Love and justice consuming what is not of himself. You will let nothing, you will let nothing of, the, of that meat that's remain until the morning. Notice that? I like that. Do you see that? You will let nothing of the meat remain until the morning. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to show you what the enemy uses to cause, to give people counsel, false counsel. Because I want to make this very clear. The, the enemy will use false counsel. The false counsel that he can use in a believer's life has to do with their lack of forgiveness. If you lack forgiveness, thereby you have no reconciliation. And it's not even a matter of you reconciling with that person. You yourself are not reconciled with God in a proper relationship. You're not rightly related to him when you can't fellowship with another believer. You just can't. 
But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Here's, what, here's the problem, folks, with believers. What can be? Notice what it says. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says this in verse 8. I therefore beg of you to reinstate him in your affections and assure him of your love for him. Notice that? When I live in the flesh, do you think I want to be assured of love? No, if I'm holding something against someone, if I'm blaming someone for something in me, and I don't want to be accountable and responsible, do you think I'm going to want a fellowship with love, with God, with another believer? It's not going to happen. It will not happen at all. There's no two ways about it. Now, when Paul was writing this, he was writing this in response to the church of Corinth. You see, they weren't eating properly the lamb. They were not fellowshipping with the lamb. They made more of themselves and what they thought their counsel was than God himself. In 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, as, as we've been taught through the word, we can see there clearly that we see here that the church of Corinth, they were so occupied with themselves and their fleshly nature that they did not want to be dealt with in any measure because they were above it. There was a young man having sexual relations with his stepmother, his father's wife. And they didn't even do a thing about it. They didn't do one single thing about it. Should areas in our lives, in a local assembly, when we're living in areas of sin, should they be dealt with? Yes, they should be dealt with in Ephesians 4.15 in love. But what is love? Is it sentimental towards me when areas are found out in my life about sin? Or is there love and justice, fire and the holiness? Yes, there is absolutely. Yes, we're to speak the truth in love. But is love without justice, with the fire of holiness? Is that what love is? Or do I want to go somewhere else and get a different definition of it? Well, they were so occupied with themselves and what they thought fellowship was, they, they missed, they didn't even make an issue of the sins of this, little, this young man that were affecting the whole body. You see, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. One person not living in right relationship in a specific area, does it affect the whole body? Now, individually, individually, should I fellowship with someone that's living in sin? No. Then what should I do? I continue to look from the top. I continue to look from the top. I continue to have fellowship and intimacy with Christ. But here it is. They were not even aware, they didn't even make an issue of this guy living in sin. Finally, finally, when Paul came and told them, through writings, actually, that was through his writings, and to tell them what was the proper order. Then they kicked him out and wouldn't forgive him. <laughs> so occupied with himself in one area that sin is allowed. Then when the sin's found out, no forgiveness. You think that goes on in the church? Do you think that goes on in local assemblies? today, right now, 
It most certainly does. That's what happens when we don't eat of the lamb. We start eating of other things. We start eating of other struggles instead of fellowshipping with them. Get occupied with them and what God's doing in their lives. Instead of just praying for them in freedom and just being excited in his presence. What a beautiful thing that is. So now Paul has to talk to them in first, Second Corinthians chapter 2. He had, listen, Paul, more than any other local assembly, oh, Lord God Almighty, he had more trouble with this local assembly than he ever had with any other local assembly that he dealt with. It was Corinth, and yet they were the most gifted. Yep. He had more trouble, God, with that local assembly than he ever had oh, in any other local assembly that he ever dealt with. Boy, I can understand that. So he had to say in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 8, I therefore beg you to reinstate him in your affections and assure him of your love. I mean, he, he got right, but he had to get right for love to flow, just love. Love and justice never separated. But first, that young man had to get right. That's what had to happen first. Because when that young man was not right with God himself and it affected his relationship with another, that in turn affected everybody else. Sounds very familiar to me. Very familiar. So let's get occupied instead of intimacy in a shared fellowship with Christ on a local assembly. Let me draw you aside and get occupied with what I'm doing and what I'm going through. <laughs> God. But yes, he did get right. Hopefully, men and women will get right. We all will get right in areas and function in forgiveness and reconciliation and stop playing the blame game. Blaming others when it's a spiritual warfare and it, as we said in 2 Corinthians 10, 4-6 and Ephesians 6, verse 12. I therefore beg you to reinstate him in your affections and assure, and assure him of your love for him. For this was my purpose in writing you. So he had to write to them. He had to instruct them. Paul had to instruct these Corinthians. He had to instruct them, just like the preaching of the word instruct us, instructs us. That's why God's given us guides in Hebrews 13, verse 17, and that functions with John 16, 13, and 14. Brought out in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. It's brought out very clearly in those scriptures. For this, for this was my purpose in writing you, to test your attitude. Oh, does God test our attitudes? What is there in any relationship when there's problems or trouble that God himself through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit hasn't dealt with? You tell me. Tell me. Who's greater? Feasting with the lamb or feasting on someone else and what they're going through? And that becomes a meme that stumbles me up in my own walk because I got occupied with things I never should have even been occupied with. Well... This was my purpose in writing to you. The word of God always tests my attitude. And see if you would stand the test. 
You see, God has tests for believers in a local assembly. And that is, it, that is even what others go through. And we test it by the word and see, is this an area I can fellowship with? Jesus, if I can't, then I should pray, right? Should I be hearing this particular thing or should I not be? Should I be allowing that to come into my life and remove me from intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ? Is it causing me to stumble? Is it causing me to live in questions about my own life? Hmm? Did I stand the test whether you are obedient? Isn't that interesting? And altogether agreeable to following my orders and everything. Oh, my word. Who does Paul think he is? Who does he think he is to teach, to tell these Corinthians and give them counsel according to the word of God? Did you know he had more problems? The Apostle Paul had more problems with the Corinthian church. No church ever challenged his call of God like they did. Ever. Ever. Matter of fact, the whole second book of Corinthians was an apostle teaching those that he taught that were now rejecting his apostleship, telling, making clear my apostleship, my call as a special messenger through the, with the word of God is of God. And you're not opposing me, and you're not opposing God, you're opposing yourself in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25. He had more problems with that. The enemy would seek through what these believers were go, gifted Believers were going through to challenge Paul to get him, even so he wouldn't function in intimacy with Christ. But he had to deal with these things. Oh, he had to deal with them. Oh, there's nothing like being one with individuals. Living in freedom. Living in, in freedom. And when it's free of all disturbance and all distraction because of the love of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, and if there would be distance that would be caused by the enemy in a particular relationship, my God, would not the answer be forgiveness? Are we already forgiven in Ephesians 4, verse 32? <laughs> God, when we don't forgive all oh, the counsel and the plans that we have, oh boy, the counsel and the plans, and we want others to hear it too. Oh, Lord. Cover us, Father, that you are obedient and altogether agree agreeable to following my orders and everything. And if you forgive anyone anything, I too forgave that one. Why? Because we're one. Is there any oneness apart from forgiveness? Do I have to wait? Do I have to go somewhere else for God to do in me in a different place in order so I can forgive? Or do I have it right now? That's what he's saying. If you forgive anyone, I too forgive that one. And what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sakes in the presence and with the approval of Christ. Huh. I don't know. I mean, is there anything that we can agree with outside of forgiveness? Oh boy. Look at what it says. With the approval of Christ, in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10, the Messiah, to keep Satan from getting the advantage over us. <laughs> the false counsel. 
I need to change my location. I need to change it. I need to go somewhere else. And by the way, can I borrow you and let you know? I, I want to remove you from your intimacy and being occupied with Christ. And now I want you to be occupied with my struggles. to keep Satan from getting the advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his wiles and intentions. What? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, really, blood and flesh. We don't. Stop being ignorant of his wiles, his methodia, in Ephesians 6, verse 11. You see it? To keep Satan from getting the advantage over us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Now look at verse 12. Now he's going to talk personally. Oh boy, oh boy, I can't wait for these next three days in my own life personally. Look what it says. Now when I arrived at Troas to preach the good news, the gospel of Christ, a door of opportunity was opened for me in the Lord. Yet my spirit could not rest, relax, get relief, because I did not find my brother Titus here. Where was here? The place where he was teaching the Corinthians that were rejecting him. <laughs> and he had no rest. There. He couldn't find rest. There was no one there to be one with him. Very interesting. No one there. No oneness. Nobody there. You know why? Because there was a door of opportunity for those Corinthians. And the enemy got those Corinthians to reject him who had invested so much in them previously. Now they're rejecting him. Now, instead of him, in the order of God being their counsel, they're counseling him. Oh, and by the way, do you think it will stop there? No. They'll counsel others. They'll counsel others about what, now what they think they should do. You know what he said? But yet my spirit could not find rest, relax, and get relief. Boy, I had some for a couple of days with my wife, and it was awesome. Because I did not find my brother Titus here. So I took leave from them. Because <laughs> he couldn't fellowship with them. So I had to take leave. You know, when you can't fellowship with another believer, let me tell you something. It's time to skedaddle. It's time not to hear certain things. And departed for Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumph as trophies of Christ's victory and through us spreads and makes evident the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ which exhales unto God discernible alike among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And boy, I love getting away this weekend. There was a oneness. There was a relaxation. There was a freedom. There was a beauty in just telling people about Jesus. And that could happen that way because there was a oneness there. There just was. And oh, how I just loved being free not being occupied with other struggles, not being occupied with being rejected, not being occupied with a lack of forgiveness, just functioning in the freedom of Jesus and just being able to be in a place and just look at scores of people 
and just to be so thankful for what we have and then being able to tell two little women that Jesus loves them and because of this oneness. It was such an awesome thing. But here Paul, he was in the midst of Corinth. No one was one with him there. Even those that he had taught for so long and invested in for so long, now they found something. They found something to be able to counsel him and disagree with him. (laughs) But you know what it says here? As we'll close this out. In 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, and verse 1, it says, Therefore, since these great promises are ours, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates and defiles body and spirit and bring our consecration to completeness in the reverential awe and fear of God. Do open your hearts to us again. Nope, not going to forgive you. Nope. And that lack of forgiveness is going to cause me to have counsel. (laughs) I don't think of God to do something different. Do open your hearts to us again. Enlarge them to take us in. We have wronged no one. You know, there was a time when Paul taught the Galatians. There was a time when when he taught them. And you know, among other things, many believe he, had, he was epileptic, and I do, based upon an in-depth of study in the Word. He also had ophthalmia, which is, and I'm not sure if I'm saying that word right, but he had problems with his eyes. And you know, he, he didn't have an amanuensis, in other words, someone to record and write down what he was telling. He had to do it himself, and that's when he wrote Galatians, and he said, see how of my own hand I've written with large letters. He had to because his eyesight was so bad. It was just a means of God humbling him, yes. But his eyesight was so bad, he wrote it. And he wrote to them. And at one point, they loved him so deeply, they said that they would have plucked out their own eyes and given them to him. I'll read it. We're going to wrap this up. This all has to do with, with feasting on the Lamb and not differences. Galatians, the fourth chapter. Galatians, the fourth chapter. Oh boy, okay. Galatians, the fourth chapter, verse 15 says this, What has become of that blessed enjoyment and satisfaction and self-congratulation that once was yours and what I taught you (laughs) and in your regard for me? For I bear you witness that you would have torn out your own eyes and have given them to me to replace mine, if that were possible. Verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling the truth to you and dealing sincerely with you? Very interesting. So he's in the midst of the church of Corinth and he's going through it. No one to be one with him. And I do thank God for the few that are one with me and my wife. I'm very thankful for that. And how he gives us to each other. And two are better than one in Ecclesiastes 4.9. And the threefold cord is not easily broken. 
because you have Christ between the two individuals. You have every measure of reconciliation for, and forgiveness that you could ever have and ever want. More and then some on top of it. So he did say as we close, do open your hearts to us again and enlarge them to take us in. We've wronged no one. Did I become your enemy by telling you the truth, by dealing strongly with you in areas where there's strongholds in your life you're not even aware of and you think you know enough? As a young man or a young woman? It's very interesting. You know, the Levite, he didn't even enter the age, a Levite, as we know in the scriptures, until at least the age of 30. But once he reached that age, you know what the Levites did. They helped the priests. They functioned in service, just like a man should be functioning in service for the body where he's called. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, Levite age, 30 years old, I became, when I became a man, I put away childish things and I had a proper relationship with Christ and my individuality and it happened to bless others. I became a joint in Ephesians 4, verse 16, that would supply and not take away from the body. Well, We've wronged no one in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 2. We, we have betrayed or corrupted no one. We have, cheated or take, uh, we have cheated or taken advantage of no one. I do say this to, to reproach or condemn you. I do not say this to reproach or condemn you. For I have said before that you are nested in our hearts. I had the opportunity to reach out to a young man and I had the opportunity to tell him, I love you, and he's in Texas. I love you, and I have always loved you. And there was established this beautiful relationship once again. And it was so beautiful to me. It's, it's the only thing I desired. Well, you're nested in our hearts, and you will remain there together with us, whether we die or live. I have great boldness and free and fearless confidence and cheerful courage toward you. My pride in you is great. I am filled, brimful with the comfort of it, with all our tribulation and in spite of it. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy. For even when we arrived in Macedonia, our bodies had no ease or rest. You know what he's doing? Paul is doing here, you know what he's telling us? Listen, he's no different than any of us in any local assembly. We, don't all, we all occupy the same place in Christ in Galatians 3 verse 26, but we don't always operate, and we don't operate in the particular place where we are. We don't, and we're not to do so. But when, <laughs> when I don't fellowship with Christ, I will seek to replace another and give counsel. I tell you, watch out for that. That's not God, that's the enemy. I am filled, brimful with the comfort of it. In all our tribulation, and in spite of it, I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy. For when we arrived in Macedonia, our bodies had no ease or rest, but we were oppressed in every way and afflicted at every turn, fighting and contentions without. 
dread and fears within. You know what he's saying here? You know what Paul's saying here? Listen, he's saying, I have my own struggles, my own things that I'm dealing with. I'm not perfect, as we sound. I'm perfect in my position and place in Christ, but I'm not perfect in my growth just yet. I'm not. I'm not just yet. I'm not. But not only that, I take the struggles of others in my teaching and preaching. They come upon me. God forbid if I don't give them to Christ. But that all comes on me. You know? Young folks, you do have your struggles and you do have your problems, and that's the truth. But when, but when you're in a position of loving authority in Christ, as Christ is the authority, you are going to suffer, and your suffering will be part of what others are going through. Let me just make that clear. Not just your own, but others. Fightings and contentions without dread and fears within, but God. Thank you, Lord, who comforts and encourages and refreshes and cheers the depressed and the sinking, comforted, encouraged and refreshed and cheered us by the arrival of Titus. That's why I can't wait till a dear friend of mine comes. Because I want to tell you, there's a oneness there. There's a oneness. There's a growth in that. Not that there were never any struggles or things that God had to deal with. But there's an absolute oneness that's been established. A oneness that we have in each and every single person in this location here and in the other location. Completely one about it. Completely one. And I just can't wait to fellowship. I just can't wait to be able to feast to feast on the lamb individually and with him. You see, if I don't feast on it myself personally, I will not feast on it with another individual, even as much as I believe that I love them. You see, you can't feast on that lamb in Exodus, the 12th chapter, (laughs) when there's a lack of forgiveness, total lack of forgiveness. So... I'm just thankful this morning for the forgiveness that we have. I mean, what makes us think that we could even function in a personal relationship with other believers and yet there's not going to be needed forgiveness in that growth and grace in 2 Peter 3.18? Oh, boy. We're just so th- I am so thankful for those that are one. I'm thankful so much for those. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name, that you would cause us all not to put aside feasting on the lamb and take up what others are feasting on that's not of God, that's not Christ, but yet not condemning or accusing them, finding them guilty. And maybe I can't fellowship with them, and I can't fellowship with them. It's not even a question whether they can't fellowship with me. The answer is I cannot fellowship with them outside of God's order. That order always has to do with reconciliation. Reconciliation always has to do with forgiveness. And there may be fears within, fightings without, but thank God we can always triumph in Christ. Thank you, Father, for this truth. Thank you for this word for each of us. Thank you for the oneness that is the body of Christ in each local assembly. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.